Okay, so um, it's it's difficult picking back up um, in the middle of a thing uh, after we've had like a several week break. So what I'm going to do today, um, I encourage you to go back and listen to part one of, of this particular kind of place in, in the study. I've got it uploaded on the podcast, so um, do that. Um, I, I feel like I probably did a better job um, the first time that I'm going to do in the sped up version of it to try to get it all in today. Um, so we're talking about the kind of the, the subject that we're on right now is uh, common grace. I'm going to read um, from Romans chapter 3 verses 10 through 18 from uh, second or from Romans chapter 6 verse 23 as well as second Peter 2 and 4. We covered this last time but um, since it's been a couple of weeks, it's probably worth the review. Um, so when we think about um, when we think about common grace, I'm gonna um, just kind of read that that definition that we uh, that we read last time before we get started, just so that we're kind of all in the same in the same headspace. So um, here's the definition from the Systematic Theology book that we um, read last time: Common grace is the grace of God by which he gives people innumerable blessings that are not part of salvation. I'll read that one more time. Common grace is the grace of God by which he gives people innumerable blessings that are not part of salvation. What what does that mean? That means that even if you are not saved, you enjoy the grace of God in an immeasurable way um, in uh, the fact that whenever you sin, God did not punish you immediately, but that He allows you to continue on. That when Adam sinned, He did not immediately um, plunge all of Adam's descendants into hell, um, but that He has given us opportunity to live and enjoy. Whether we whether we ultimately love Him or not, we will find that um, that we have been blessed by Him to live the lives that we have. That we have lived. Um, so to to think about this, to kind of get our our uh, mindset on um, the gift that it is to live um, as sinful beings um, and and not be punished immediately. I wanted us to kind of look at and get our minds wrapped around who we are um, apart from Christ. So Romans chapter three verse. 10. As it is written, no one is righteous, no not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside, together they have become worthless, no one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave, they use their tongues to deceive, the venom of asps is under their lips, their mouth is full of curses and bitterness, their feet are swift to shed blood, in their paths are ruin and misery, in the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And this is speaking to us right this is speaking to the state of humanity apart from the grace of God working in us to make us something new so let's look over at Romans 6 uh, verse 23 where we read here uh, for the wages of sin is death Right, so when we sin, when we look like that picture that we see in Romans chapter three, verses ten through eighteen, there, um, what we are owed from God, the wages that we are owed for the sin that we commit, is 
death. Verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And as we kind of, and, and I'm in some regards looking forward to some of the, uh, uh, looking forward in time to some of the studies uh, that we're going to be approaching in the coming weeks. Um, and, and the selection of, of this next verse, Second Peter verse 2 or Second Peter, excuse me, chapter two, verse four. The selection of this is for us so that we understand um, that God is still good and just and holy and righteous um, and in debt to none of His creation. And we can see this in Scripture when we look at um, God's response to the angels having sinned. So, verse two of or excuse me, verse 4 of chapter 2 of Second Peter. For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. Right? So God, when the angels fell, He did not spare them. He, when we think about grace, and this is um, hopefully, hope, hopefully when we consider the response to the fall of the angels and God's response in, in punishing them, um, immediately casting them into hell. And we consider um, the fact that whenever we, whenever humanity fell in Adam, that God didn't wipe humanity out, but that he has allowed us to live. And, and as we live from birth, being born in the nature of our father, Adam, um, he allows us to live, and what do we do with the grace of, of this life given us? What do we do? We sin. Like we, we use the breath that He's placed within our lungs to blaspheme Him. We've used the, the life that He's given us to chase after a world of other things other than Him. And yet He allows us to live. He, he allows us to enjoy um, the, the fact of living. The, um, and, and not only this, but He doesn't, he doesn't withhold from, from us um, the goodness of the creation that He has um, placed us within. If we, we can see some evidences of this, and we looked at this a little bit last time, Matthew uh, chapter 5. If you'll turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, we'll start there. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. And we spoke about this last time. Um, and I just want to remind you that when he speaks about the sun rising as well as the rain falling, that this is not, that this is not here telling us that good and bad happens to both the evil and the good. But these are both goods that he's speaking of, right? Um, that good comes to both the righteous and the evil. Um, so God's given a grace to all of humanity um, to experience the good of his creation. He goes on further, um, or we'll go on further and look at, ch at Acts chapter 14 real quick. 
And this is kind of where we uh, wrapped up last week, or excuse me, a couple of weeks back. Uh, So Acts chapter 14, we're going to be looking in verse 16 here. In past generations he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without a witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons and satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. So here again we see this this uh, idea of common grace playing out. One, I, I want us to see here that he that he has done this to witness and to testify to himself to his goodness by doing this good to us so um as we consider this and as we consider why god would immediately punish the angels when they had fallen and why he would um deal with us differently um what i want us to consider in this is what is god trying to do right What is it that God is trying to do here? And God is working to make himself known to all creation, right? We see glimpses of this in in Scripture. So like like the, the powers and majesties marvel at the work that he's doing in us in grace, right? Like the the heavenly realm looks on the work that God is doing in humanity and they marvel at what he's done in the cross. Right? And from their perspective, as created beings, they can see how the fallen among them were treated, and then they can see the grace of God being poured out on us, and they have a, per- a perspective from that. And then we on this side can look and see how the fallen angels were treated. And God, in both, in both cases, being righteous and good and loving and kind and merciful, in both cases... Right, But what God's giving us in this is He's giving us a clearer picture of who He is, what He's doing. Right, And, and us on this side looking, we can know for certain that the grace that God gives to us is in no way owed to us, partly because we can look at the, the example of the angels who fell. And we can see the angels who had fallen being punished, being cast into hell and God being good, righteous, holy, merciful in that act. And then we can reflect and say, why does he treat us differently than that? Right? Because we can say, I'm owed the same type of thing, and yet God has given us something else. God has allowed us to continue on in this way, not being cast into punishment immediately, but enjoying the common grace that He shows to all humans. Right? And in that, working so that we can know Him and see Him more clearly, so that His glory, so that His perfect attributes in all regards, ultimately when He works this thing to completion, we will see and know Him in ways that we never could had He approached it differently. We will have a clearer, more perfect view of Him because of the way that He approached working out in His creation, His perfect will, than we could have ever seen had He done it in some other way where He just made all of us like perfect robots that never went out of line, right? Um, so I, I want us to, to kind of continue on there. Let's look at um, Psalms, Psalm 145. 
If you'll turn with me here, this is another place where we see kind of in the natural the natural realm of existence God showing us grace so Psalm 145 we're going to look first at verse 9 and then we'll jump down to verse uh, 15 and 16 so 9 the Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made that's verse 9 now down in verse 15 The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food. In due season, you open your hand to satisfy the desire of every living thing. We spoke about this this reality that, that oftentimes, and we spoke about this the last time that we were kind of on this. This is another case where we see this word desire used here and and to me it's very interesting like so the angels fall they are punished immediately we fell in adam right like in the work of adam we were all counted sinners like this is scripture that's not new to us we've covered this concept before in adam all men fail so god rightly said then all are sinners before i ever sinned the first time god knew me And knew my nature. Knew how I would act before I would go about that. And yet, to those who had set themselves opposed to God as enemies, we find several cases in Scripture where it speaks not of Him just letting us get by, right? Letting us merely exist, but it speaks to the desires of the heart of man. Like that's... That stands out to me as a particularly a particular kind of like extravagance in his love, even for his, his the, those who have made themselves enemies of him. So it's, you open your hand to satisfy the desires of every living being, so that there will be none on the day of judgment, right? There will be none on the day of judgment who will stand before him and be able to say to him, you dealt with me unfairly. None. Like, those who deserve punishment, he has given the desires of their heart. Right? That's a, that's a, now, this plays out in different ways, right? Like, some people live harder lives than others, and... and, and um, some people live much harder lives than others, but the reality of what's played out here is that we all, no matter where we find ourselves in time, no matter where we find ourselves geographically spread across the world, that we experience grace in the life that God gives us, that we can open our eyes and see or hear with our ears the beauty of all that God has done, and that we can The mere fact that through creation we can know that God exists through what He's created is grace to us. Even if rejected, even if rejected, it is grace for a being to know of the existence of God. That is grace in and of itself. So let's, let's continue on here. Um, we're going to go back to Romans. Um, so God has kind of that kind of uh, 
wraps up the scripture that I wanted us to look at, particularly um, concerning um, both like setting the, the stage in those first three verses that we looked at, and then now in these second three, um, looking at how in um, the created order or in nature we can see God's grace um, to us. Now I want to I look um, quickly at two places in Romans that show how... Um, in the moral sphere of creation that God has shown us grace there as well. So if you would flip with me to Romans chapter 13. We're going to be looking at Romans 13, um, starting in, in verse 1. Now before we get into this, I would encourage you, we don't have time today to go into all of the nuances of um, the questions that will come out of this, but we covered them when we were going through um, kind of the long study through Romans. So if those questions pop back up into your mind, like how can you tell us to obey government um, when there, it seems government is, is so oftentimes corrupt? Go back and listen to that study. That's where, um, we'll, that's where we spent a significant amount of time kind of talking about that. But today what I want us to see is um, that... When it comes to human existence and um, flourishing in this world, that the rule, not the exception, but the rule is, is that having governing, it, governing authorities tends humanity towards a better existence than, than anarchy, right? So that's kind of the big point I want us to get here. So um, verse 13 um, or excuse me, chapter 13 of Romans verse 1, Let every person be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Um, Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Um, Then do what is good, and you will receive approval. Uh, for he is God's servant for your good. Okay, so um, one way that God has worked in this common grace to bring about um, good to humanity, to, to his, to like civilization as a whole, is to establish um, governments and authorities um, which keep in check um, evil. So, um, Government, the, the purpose and place of government is to keep evil in check. And by and large, it serves that purpose flawed clearly, right? Clearly flawed. Like we can all point to places where this is flawed. Um, but this is pointing us ultimately to the good that is God's authority and God's reign and rule, right? Um, so anything that we look at on earth in, that, that is in some way like points us towards heavenly realities, we would be able to look at those things and, and poke holes in it. There are going to be flaws because men are involved. But um, on the whole, um, it would seem that um, it is good to have governing authorities in place. This is one way that God keeps us in check um, from, a, from a moral standpoint. Um, let's flip now. Another way that God keeps us in check from a moral standpoint is our conscience. Um, we can see this in Romans chapter 2. 
if we look at verse 14. So Romans chapter 2, verse 14. For when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflict, conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. So what we see here is that God has given us, this is part of this, this common grace that we're talking about here, consciences. He has written His law on the heart of men such that even though oftentimes we rebel, there is a knowledge that tends towards that understanding of what is right and wrong. Right? And in doing this, this is another way in which God keeps um, us in check. We could be much worse than we are when it comes to our sin. Right? God has placed um, governing authorities on one end, our own conscience on the other end of this to keep us in line because what we find is that when God removes the burden of conscience from cultures and civilizations, which we can see in Scripture that he does. Romans starts off by saying that, he, that he's given them up, and they go on and do what? Become inventors of new sins, right? Like God, this like cultural consciousness, like the joining together of all of our minds to decide on what is right, um, God can... And, and often does in history draw back from us. And when he, when he does this, what we oftentimes find is moral decline. So, like, we could be worse than we are. And God has shown us this in history as he's drawn back at different points in time and allowed men and women to go on to deeper depths of depravity. Yeah. And it's an already in our in ourselves that God put in our a heart and our conscience. Yes. 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 That bears like and, and this is like we oftentimes look and, and we look at the world and like we can look and see like it, there are times where it's just like, man, things are, have gone off the rails, right? Um when we look and we see that, let's let's understand that that one, the fact that it hasn't gone off the rails is the grace of God, restricting and restraining the depravity of the heart of man, um, and also having put in place authorities that also provide um, a mechanism to kind of keep in, in check. And both of these, we can see through history, um, there are ebbs and flow uh, in this. Um, this is why we need more than common grace. Right? Like, we need saving grace ultimately. Like, and that is, like, common grace is not the answer for us all to get along. Common grace is the reality that, that God is working in and amongst those who deserve punishment. And in doing this, He's working out this larger story in which we see Christ come into play. We see 
the cross, we see the resurrection, we see a hope for more than just getting up and seeing the beauty of this world or living in a society that is somehow flawed, but we see this hope for total redemption um, out of this. So um, I, I wanted to point us to one more passage of text here, um, and we'll kind of close with this thought. This is not directly out of the systematic theology book. If you're, if you're looking at, at this particular point that I'm going to make here, this is something that I think um, accompanies um, common grace, um, and that is the idea that God has placed within us a view towards the eternal, right? Um, and we see this in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11 through 13. So if you'll flip with me, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live, also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. So this is kind of a double-edged sword in regards to a gift because we, if you study through the book of Ecclesiastes, um, you will see that when it comes to the toil of man under the sun, the preacher here will say vanity of vanities. So if there's nothing beyond the sun, then ultimately um, this life of toil would would all be in vain. But God has placed within man's heart this view for eternity, right? Um, I think that it is that that it is very telling that we all live each day as though it's not our last. And most oftentimes we live in such a way as though tomorrow will come for us, right? This is, in some regards, a playing out of this thing that God has placed within us. Now, it is, it is a skewed and broken playing out because we, we live as though we are on the other side of eternity and that only good will come tomorrow, right? But the reality is, is that this, this side of eternity that we find ourselves on today is fleeting. So we have, we live in this fleeting reality where everything around us dies, right? And that if we look at the long, I'm talking about like the long view of history. I'm, I'm not talking about like um, the long view of your life. I'm talking about if we look at, at creation from start and where we can see Long out into the future, billions of years, if no intervention is had, the result is all things die. Right? Is the heat death of the universe is in the future. Right? Like even this reality does not play out in such a way that it is um, hospitable to life forever. Right? Everything dies here. Okay, yet we feel as though we are eternal, right? 
God has placed that feeling within us. And as we look around us and we see everything dying and withering, corroding, growing old, we realize that something, that this feeling for eternal can't be satisfied here, right? Like our longing for the eternal, there is no answer for that here. Then I was created for another. Yes. Like that quote from Lewis. Like whenever I, whenever I read this, this is like the, the thought that pops into my mind. Is that our heart tells us that we were created for another world. Yet we live our lives as though this is that world. And we... Yeah. Yeah. So we need an external, someone who, who is from the eternal to step in to make that reality that we feel in our hearts real for us. It is not a thing that we find in the realm of common grace. Right? It is something that, that requires... Um, stepping outside of, um, I think, uh, what we, what we uh, know and see, see here. So um, we'll close with that and, 